Hey guys, it's Jacob here. Um, first and foremost, thank you all so much for your patience on this. Um, it took me a while to get this last episode of Horror Fest edited. Um, we had some connectivity issues in our area with our internet connection, and so it kept cutting out. So just a heads up on this on this one, there are going to be a few um, moments where there are some odd cuts, it seems like. I tried to make everything as, um, as efficient as I could to where... We still got all of our main points across, and of course, Josh and Al did a fantastic job, as they always do with Horror Fest. Um, I'm so very proud of them for this segment, and I personally cannot wait for next year's already. Um, so, thank you all for sticking with them and uh, sticking with us through Phantom Horror Fest. We also want to give a very special shout-out, which Al does mention. Um, Nathan Lewis is a gem of a human being and is one of our very best supporters, and this last episode goes out to him. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much, Nathan, and thank you all once again for listening. Enjoy the episode. Hello, my spooky, spooky friends. Um, welcome to our last episode of Horror Fest 2021. I am Al, a fan of correspondence, also known as Red Lanyard, but we've probably hung out enough this year that you can just call me Al. Uh, that's all right. Um, joining me tonight as usual, as per the reg for Horrorfest, uh, we've got the wonderful fan correspondent admin, um, the wise sage, Josh himself. How are you doing, Joshua? I'm doing real well. I mean, I'm a little little sad that this is the last Horrorfest for for a while, but uh, but I, I, I'm 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 happy with what we've done, and uh, you know, uh, looking forward to talking about the movie tonight. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a there's a lot of emotions flying about um, in the space <laughs> tonight. Um, this is on the last episode of Horror Fest, unfortunately. It's been a blast. I've had a great time. Um, always enjoy uh, just kind of shop talk with Horror Fest with um, Josh here. But um, we will be back next year for sure for Horror Fest. Um, and obviously for the rest of the year, we do other stuff too, in case anybody <laughs> didn't know. Here at Phantom Correspondence, we sometimes talk about like video games and comic books and stuff. Mm -hmm. So be sure to, be sure to tune in for that. Um, but, um, this is the last episode of 2021's Horror Fest on Phantom Talk. And for this last episode, it's, um, it's a special one. Uh, we wanted to devote an episode. Um, it was a, a fan vote on um, our Patreon, uh, fandomcorrespondence.com on Patreon, um, or not.com, that's just a website, fandomcorrespondence on Patreon.com, um, where um, our patrons and our, our viewers and listeners can vote on um, the last thing they want us to do for Horror Fest. And one of our most loyal and devout and supportive followers and friends of the show um, is our wonderful friend, Ethan Hogeiger Lewis. And he voted for um, an American werewolf in London. And he has just been so constant and so consistent in his support for us that we just decided, hey, let's just do a tribute episode just for um, one of our most staunch um, supporters of fandom correspondence. So everybody, tonight to close out 2021's Horror Fest, we are doing the 
Nathan Hogeiger tribute episode of Phantom Talk, where we're talking about American Werewolf in London. Um, now, Josh, um, you have you have given me the wonderful news that this was your first time watching American Werewolf in London. Um, so I'm just I'm just cracking this bad boy open, Josh. What did you think about uh, the movie this time around? Um, what are your feelings and opinions and passions about an American Werewolf in London? Yeah, um, you know, it's weird. Uh, I, I had actually seen American Werewolf in Paris, uh, which came out, I think, in 96 or 97. Uh, I've seen that movie, uh, but I'd never seen this one, which, of course, is the, the precursor. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably go on and state uh, the, the superior of the two movies. Um, definitely has a whole different uh, tonality to what's happening in American Werewolf in Paris. Um yeah, this this movie, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a lot different than Animal House, uh, which was John Lance's pr- movie before this. Mm. Uh, definitely uh, quite a bit different, uh, quite quite a different uh, uh, left turn for him, although there's still quite a bit of comedy within this movie. Uh, I think a lot of the comedy comes from the, the different uh, zombies that show up uh, to discuss things with our boy. For sure. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think uh, that's the, you know there's there's a lot of fun there. Uh, I will tell you that uh, uh, David David Naughton, um, who is the the main character in this, um, playing playing I think his name's David in the movie, isn't it? Is it that is right? indeed. Yeah, so <laughs> he's basically playing himself. Uh, but it's funny when this movie came out, and even for a few years after this, because I remember distinctly. Uh, David Naughton was kind of a one of the more well-known people in America because he was the wouldn't you like to be a Pepper Two guy uh, for Dr Pepper, and uh, then this movie came out with its uh, violence and nudity, and uh, he was let go as being the would you like to be a Pepper Two guy, uh, which I think is really sad. Um, you know, I think uh, you know you should be, have some artistic freedom uh, to do your werewolf movie if you want to, even if you are working for a corporation like Dr Pepper. Absolutely, uh, but uh, but still, uh, kind of a kind of a funny little thing there um, that uh, John Landis, you know, for this movie, which is really, you know, something of a independent movie for him, um, was able to land that guy, and I think he's really honestly perfect in this movie. He's, you know, he his um, his portrayal is very good, um, and and you know, for a movie that relies so much on us uh, being able to empathize with our main character uh, turning into a werewolf uh, through just, you know, his confusion and his pain. Uh, I think he does a really good job at it. So yeah, I, I really liked the movie. I thought it was, I thought it was well done all the way around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm really, I'm really glad we ended it with this one because um, for anybody who's been keeping up with these crazy things we've been doing with these podcasts this year, uh, we've gone a lot of different places. Um, I said at the beginning, I wanted to do on the movies this year, I wanted to do ones that were very influential, um, influential for pop culture, influential for the horror, um, industry, um, however it may be just, uh, movies that have left an impact. And so as a result, we've talked about some pretty serious films, we've talked about some pretty heavy handed, um, storytelling, some pretty philosophical stuff. Um, I'll say right now, I think the alien episode is one of the best podcasts that Josh and I have ever done. Um, at the same time, uh, if you're having a bad day, that 
may not be one you want to hop onto uh, <laughs> because it got got very real at some places. But uh, this one, I'm really glad we ended with an American Werewolf in London because this movie is just a lot of fun. Um, it's it's enjoyable. Um, as far as horror goes, um, it definitely leans more into the um, uh, the rather infantile at the time kind of subgenre um, of horror comedy, um, which obviously has expanded and grown um, since 81 uh, when this came out. But um, um, on the horror side, though, um, um, it's kind of an interesting film, right? Because you have uh, at the heart of it, it's it's kind of a very humorous look at um, these crazy things that happen <laughs> um, to David, the main character. Um, you know, just a series of unfortunate events, if you will, as he kind of goes through and reacts to things and adapts to them. Um, but um, one of the things I want to talk about real quick is um, kind of the on the horror comedy talents that struck um, in an American werewolf in London uh, because you have, you know, these really humorous scenes and really humorous lines and really f f funny exchanges between a bunch of the characters that help keep the movie very light, um, very enjoyable, very entertaining. Um, and right alongside that, you have some of the best practical effects I've ever seen and that's really no exaggeration um alongside a transformation scene um for david that i mean if i'm being super real really ranks up there with some of the more disturbing examples of body horror that um i've probably seen in horror films in general um i don't talk about um body horror very much because i'm i'm not a huge fan of it i'm usually when it pops up but uh, it's got some impressive visuals here um um josh talk a little bit about your thoughts about kind of um the balance that tried to strike between um comedy and and some of the horror visuals and how it kind of worked together or complemented each other or if you think they did not like how'd you feel about the different tones going you know i think i think the the shift in tones i think works uh pretty well uh right up until the ending which is a very kind of abrupt and somewhat uh sad ending although i don't know what you would do after it i don't know how else you could have ended it um but you know the ending's very very much in a in a downer kind of note um and all through that everything that's happening is really kind of you know ridiculous and and kind of uh uh, you know, it, even even some of the more you know horrific elements. You know, I mean, like you know, Jake. I watched it with uh, with Jake, and and you know, the the time when he laughed out loud was when the uh, uh, was when the the couple's getting mauled outside, and it flashes to this other couple in the house, and they go the hooligan. The wife goes, the hooligans are out there again, and I don't know why that's, that, but that, it was just a funny moment, and like it's meant to be funny. It's 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 framed yeah. as funny. So, you know, I mean, I think it does a good job of balancing those two. Um, horror comedy is has become kind of its own 
something of its own um, uh, genre, really. Uh, and uh, it's, you know, it's either done really well. Uh, you know, you think of something like Shaun of the Dead, um, you know, mm-hmm. I think does it really well. Or it's done very poorly, and that's kind of like the scary movie, you know, kind of uh, thought process. Um, I think I would even put, like, Scream has a lot of comedic elements to it. Sure. Um, you know, we kind of talked about horror comedy then. Um, and this movie does that pretty pretty well. But, yeah, here's the thing about this movie, and I think what, what makes it stand out and what, you know, has, has kept it in the running as, you know, one of the best horror movies of all time, to your point, is the practical effects. Uh, you know, our, our, you know, our guy here is Rick Baker, uh, who, if you don't know anything about, you should probably look up. He's won seven Academy Awards. Uh, for for special effects makeup, uh, which is the most any makeup artist has ever won. Um, so I mean he's he's legit, and this was the he won, this was his first Academy Award win was with this movie. Um, and when you're talking about the the effect that just he has had on pop culture just in general, um, you know just a little bit just a nice little trivia fact I'm gonna bring up here. Uh, Al, you probably already know this, but you know this movie is the movie that Michael Jackson watched and said, I want to do the thriller concept mm. video based on this movie. Yeah. And he pulled in John Landis and Rick Baker to do that stuff. And when you're looking at, particularly in the beginning of thriller, you know, when Michael Jackson turns into that werewolf in the beginning, it's very similar to the werewolf that they're using in American werewolf in London. Um, so, I mean, you, you've got, you know, a real effect on pop culture, uh, right there, uh, just just from 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 that event alone. Um, but you know, when you when you break it down, the the things that he is pulling off in 1981 uh, with very, you know, with 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 well, with no CGI help whatsoever, and with very little, uh, you know, I mean, the technology for animatronics and stuff like that is still very much in its uh infancy in a lot of ways you know i mean this is this is around the time when you know jim henson is really and and lucasfilm are really starting to push the boundaries but you know i mean you're still you're in the middle of you know empire strikes back and the muppet movie and all that stuff that are really pushing the boundaries of what animatronics can do Mm -hmm. um you know to be able to pull off what he does uh that transformation scene is so horrific and uh so so incredibly powerful um because it really is, particularly in 1981, it's the first time we've ever seen it done that way. The major difference in, in this werewolf and Lon Chaney's is that when you look at Lon Chaney's were, werewolf, um, which is still a classic, of course, but basically he's staring at the screen and then just kind of fades out and he becomes the werewolf. I mean, this thing is a, you know, it's, it's a 10-minute yeah. horror fest yeah. of you just, you know, me. limbs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, limbs growing and and I, uh, the the spine uh, coming in is what really got me. You know, like that just kind of pop. You know, and you know, I mean, it really does. Uh, it brings into the the horror of the of the transformation. You know, um, and and that, like I said, had really hadn't been done. Not just really in the in the werewolf. I mean, werewolf, but like you know, it, it's it's almost makes me wonder if like if you'd get you know the fly without this movie. Or really any of the metamorphosis movies that came out after this, um, so it 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 was it's pretty pretty strong uh, pretty strong movie, and and I, I like the fact that we're talking about because we really honestly Al in in all the movies we've done we haven't really talked too much about visual effects, and really other than 
other than the thing, which is, you know, I think as far as visual effects movie is, is the top tier movie. Sure. This one's right up there with it. I mean, this one for what it's able to pull off um, on a shoestring budget um, is, is pretty, pretty amazing. And it, it gets some pretty great visuals in there um, for, for 1981, uh, for, for, for 1981 levels that still hold up to this day. I really don't know how you can improve it today. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's probably the best thing I can say about what's going on in this movie is, you know, even with everything we've got today, I mean, I don't know if you can improve it. You know, it's, it's, it's powerful enough as it is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, you hit the nail on the head and um, a lot of ways, of course, this was an accident um, kind of this year that we're even talking about um, an American Werewolf of London because it was one of the options in the poll and it just happened to be the one that our um, our boy Hogeiger um, had voted for. But um, but um, it honestly kind of fits because, um, as you say, when you talk about the practical effects and we talk about the visuals, um, I mean, in American Werewolf in London, this is one of the movies that really inspired a lot of creators um you know you talk about the fly uh coming off as a result of what could be done with the visual effects um Cronenberg himself uh has talked about um how influential this film was um in in a recent ama um online that edgar wright did Edgar Wright was asked, you know, um, out of all the films you've enjoyed and that have influenced you, what's one that you've probably watched the most? And um, he listed a couple of films, but one of the ones he talked about was An American Werewolf in London. Um, and that, I mean, when you consider the humor that's built throughout um, the film that's complemented by these visuals, uh, it makes a lot of sense that Edgar Wright, you know, the guy of... Shaun of the Dead fame uh, was heavily influenced by the balance that was struck uh, between the horror visuals that are there as well as kind of the complementary but almost kind of contradictory um, uh, um, comedy tone um, that it has as well. Um, so it's great. Now, uh, I remember one of the first friends I made when I went to college um, who I'm with now even though they live um a little bit far away um heather nows um heather and cody if you're out there listening to this i love y'all i miss you but um um and she is a wonderful artist who does a lot of special effects makeup and when she first told me about that i asked what some of her her early influences were and she straight up said you know one of the films she talked about was the practical effects um in an american werewolf in london uh, specifically jack's um visuals the first time he pops up in the hospital after the werewolf attack and you just have you know the the flagellate-esque kind of appearance of his throat and face and it's very striking, um, and it's really um, it really hits you, um, as opposed to kind of the tone that the movie is taking up to that point. But um, and she she verily 
um, said, you know, that's one that kind of inspired me to do this kind of thing. So, I mean, even the talent that's growing and blossoming today um, still um, draws a lot of roots back to American Wear from London and a lot of the visuals that were done with it. Um, but, um, yeah, it's a great, you know what, I'm really glad I watched it because I forgot how much I enjoy this um, this film. This film is so much fun. It's great. This is a really good film to show to people who aren't, like, 100% sold on horror um, to kind of, like, ease them into some of the ideas about it um, because it's just so great. Um, um, now, when we get into the horror aspect, and really when we get into the plot of the film and kind of what kind of powers the story forward we talk about uh what's right there in the name um this is fueled by um a werewolf attack uh that happens in england and um josh i don't know how you feel about this and kind of intrigued to know um i've always thought that that kind of folklore and creature-based horror um it's really kind of a lost art in a lot of ways in recent years it's kind of an an untapped source of potential for a lot of really interesting horror stories and horror films to be told about it um and it's kind of a shame because i think when you get into the folklore you get into the legends and the stories that uh, we've kind of grown up with and kind of taken for granted um these kind of stories of folklore and werewolves and the old world kind of <laughs> ways of things um are kind of lost uh, is that something that you would agree with is there any reason that you can think of that that brand of horror has kind of fallen out of favor um, or anything like that um you know it, it's just i think it's a it, it, it's a difficult style of horror to do. Uh, I mean, even even American Werewolf in London only really dips its toe into it. You know, mm-hmm. um, when you're doing that style of horror, uh, a lot of times, although I think American Werewolf in London is kind of the exception here, um, and they're very intelligent on how they do things. Um, but a lot of times with that style of horror, you can really kind of get bogged down in the the mythology. Uh, that you're dealing with um, so that you spend so much time, you know, discussing the past and things like that. It's really hard to deal with what's happening in the here and now um, with American world in London, you know, their entire mythology is basically a five pointed star on a, on a wall. And then a, you know, a group of people um, that are just not talkative, you know, um, that's all you get really. You don't get the history. You don't get, you know, what's happened. You know, some type of witchcraft, has occurred um but you don't see the witch you know things like that you don't get that um mm-hmm. you know but i mean that style of that style of horror with with the folklore aspect um it's just it's just difficult to pull off correctly um although you can see its influence and stuff even like the blair witch you know i mean blair witch is a folklore based you know horror movie uh, at its core i mean you know it's it's in fact it's a bunch of people searching after folklore <laughs> that's that mm-hmm. makes up the entire base of that movie um but i do like the style i think i think that kind of style of movie is something that um we are missing out on um because it, it adds it adds a mystery element to it 
uh, and if it's done right, it can be, you know, this kind of puzzle that you're putting together all the way through the movie, and then everything kind of, you figure everything out towards the end, stuff like that. Like I said, American Werewolf in London didn't really do that. You know, American Werewolf in London, you know, there's, there is no ending to the story, really. I mean, you know, or there's no satisfactory ending to the story. You know, we don't know where this came from or whatever. We're, all, we're just dealing with the the outcome of whatever's happened in the past. Um, and I think American Werewolf in London's a little, like I said, I think they're smart to do that um, because that's, that's the movie's more about, um, you know, how David deals with everything that's happening to him, how he deals with all this trauma. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's where the onus of the movie is. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting when you consider You know these kinds of um, these kinds of stories, these kinds of horror, um, kind of built around um, older stories of creatures and monsters. These kinds of ideas of different kinds of urban legends and folklore. Um, um, I'm gonna wax. Um, I can emic here a bit um, if everybody doesn't mind. Um, it won't be as awful and boring as it sounds. I promise. But, um, you know, when you think about and talk about these stories, these stories about werewolves and, um, and vampires and, and the creatures of the night and things like that, um, in a lot of ways, you know, these date back to the origins of horror. Um, and I mean that as far as films go, uh, on the monster Movies of the 30s and 40s and 50s were some of the earliest horror films available. But there was also, even before that, you know, the tradition of folklore, the tradition of these stories can be found across so many different kinds of cultures, across so many different um, time periods as well. There's almost a, a Jungian aspect to the fact that these kinds of creatures these kinds of horrors are so uniformly and universally talked about and um apparently um experienced in some way or another um across all these different times and cultures that it almost speaks to to a common universal fear um this fear that there's something out there that we as humans haven't conquered and don't understand yet. Um, this fear that there's something of the natural world that we haven't accomplished any kind of a dominion over and that it can come back and attack us and treat us as prey and treat us as the victim in the narrative. Um, I think is very, again, it's just very universal even if it isn't something that we're entirely aware of. Um, now, obviously, that's a very big academic statement to draw from um, a comedy narrative such as An American Werewolf in London. But um, it kind of speaks to my surprise that we don't get a lot of um, this kind of story or type of horror anymore. And when we do... It's very stylized. It's very changed, right? Um, Universal has been trying to get a 
monster horror cinematic universe up off the ground for, I mean, what feels like as long as I've been alive. <laughs> um, with no exaggeration there at all. But a lot of those entries, especially the most recent entries, um, they don't really focus on what is scary about those things. I recall when I watched, um, I think it's, I think it's Dracula Rising, I think is the name of the film. It was like a 2015 Dracula untold. Untold, yeah. Thank you. Um, where he's like this, like, like warrior king out of Game of Thrones, and <laughs> and like, you know, it's not it's not a terrible idea for a film, but when you think about you know what is at the core of these of the horror history of these creatures and of these stories and of these titles, um, it kind of, this is the point there. Um, and so this is a little bit of a tangent, obviously, but it is something I want to talk about and it hasn't really fit in to anything that we've talked about up to this point. So this is as close of a tangent as I'm going to get to this year. But um, Josh, if you were, if you were placed in charge of Universal's plans for this kind of collaborative cinematic universe around these classic horror films and monster films and things like that, um, do you think there would be worth in trying to recapture that kind of classical sense of horror, trying to retap into that? kind of Jungian fear, or um, am I just insane guy who overpaid for his psychology degree and you have to go hardcore action and I'm um, in stylized approach? Like, how do you think the, um, the best approach there is to do that kind of revival of these stories? Yeah, I mean, the approach is to do what Landis just did before Wolf in London, you know, the reason, one of the reasons a lot of these movies work, the ones we've talked about, um, I'm trying to think, okay. Every single movie we've talked about this year, one of the reasons it's worked is because you're dealing with people, uh, that don't have egos. So for example, in exorcist, there's no, there's no big name in exorcist and Max Van Sito, you know, who, I mean, he isn't a big name. I mean, he's a big name, but he's not, you know, yeah. Um, Conjuring, you've got Patrick Wilson and Var Farmiga, who are not big names. You know, I mean, they are. I mean, Patrick Wilson kind of is now, but not really. Mm. You know, uh, obviously with both Scream and I know with last summer, you've got unknowns at the time. With mm. Alien, you've got unknowns at the time. And with, you know, Werewolf in London, you've got unknowns. Mm. And so when you when you when you're doing that kind of thing, when you're dealing with unknowns. Um, you don't have to make it a vehicle for that person. So like not to be, you know, not to be a jerk, but like, you know, when you do the mummy and you put Tom Cruise in it, it's a Tom Cruise <laughs> movie. It's not, it's not a mummy movie. It just yeah. isn't, you know, and that, that's probably fine. I mean, Tom Cruise at this point, 
you know, has earned the right to make Tom Cruise movies, but he can't. It's rare that he's going to be in a big budget movie that isn't going to be a Tom Cruise movie, you know, and and that's the issue. And say it's Russell Crowe's the same way, you know, and, and that so, I mean, that's the first thing you've got to do is you've got to you've got to get people who can commit to a role that's bigger than who they are. Because that's what these characters are. You know, Dracula is going to exist, has existed, and is going to exist beyond Tom Cruise's lifespan. You know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, you know, is a character that has existed and is going to exist beyond Russell Crowe's lifespan. So that's the that's the key, in my opinion. You know, if you, if you want to pull those off, that's the first thing I'd do, is I'd be like, well, you know, we've got to find young, hungry actors, you know, and we got to, you know, they have to realize that this is a this is a vehicle for the story not a vehicle for them mm-hmm. and because that's i mean that's what brings down a lot of these movies and you know and i mean that's not a that's not a that's not a dig against you know the universal movies i mean that happens in all types of movies you know because every it seems like every actor thinks they're you know an auteur actor now and you know sometimes that's the case sometimes it's not but when you're dealing with such big properties um, you can't have things in it that's going to distract from the property. You know, no one went into the mummy, you know, with Tom Cruise watching a mummy movie, you know, mm. and you compare that to the mummy. I mean, the uh, the mummy and, you know, the early 2000s mummy is not, you know, I mean, it's not a it's not a, you know, a, a world beating movie by any stretch of the imagination. But it's a fun <laughs> movie. It's fun to watch. People remember it. And you look at who's in that movie, you've got Brendan Fraser, who at that point, his biggest role had been George of the Jungle, probably. Yeah. And you've got Rachel Weisz, who, you know, young and hungry. And, you know, I mean, that's that's your movie, you know, <laughs> like, and so, yeah. you know, they can they can they have the ability to blend into the movie and they don't become bigger than it. Uh, you know, that's just not the case, you know, with any of the any of the Universal movies, every single one of them. You know, Van Helsing's that way. You know, Van Helsing's a Hugh Jackman movie. You know, it's not a Van Helsing movie, it's a Hugh Jackman movie, you know, and The Mummy's a Tom Cruise movie. And if they had done Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, it would have been a Russell Crowe movie. And so if you do want to, if you want to change that up, you really got to go back to what Landis was doing here, you know, and say, no, we're going to make a werewolf movie, you know, and the characters are going to serve the story as opposed to the other way around. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's how I would do it, you know, and, but I, I, I am very, um, I am I am very reticent in saying that that's ever going to happen. Mm. Uh, I don't I don't know if it can happen. Mm. Sure, sure. I mean, hey, the biggest takeaway I got from that is that we need to have a universal monster universe helmed completely by John Handis. And I don't know if I've ever been more excited about an idea. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that'd be a good one. You know, I don't know I'd if you to do this stuff anymore, but yeah, that'd be fun. I mean, I mean, I'd be there on release night every night. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd be in it. I'd be in it. <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, no, no, I think you bring up a lot of really good points. Um, I think you're spot on when you talk about, these roles and these stories being uh, being larger than the actors who give them life. I think that's um, entirely right. I mean, as I said, these are 
these are stories and legends and mythologies that have lasted like as long as human civilizations have um and as as wild as that is and as hard to understand and think about as that might be um i really think there's something to that and um i'm always sad whenever i watch a really good monster flick um this one comes to mind um i watched the invisible man last year um i'm the new invisible man which was actually really really good and enjoyable um it came to mind as well you know um just so much untapped potential for really really good horror films uh really really unique horror films um that just go completely um untapped and unused um so often um or if they are used or not used in the proper capacity that they probably should be um but uh no no i think that's great um josh scale of one to ten changing gears here a bit scale of one to ten how would you rate the healthcare as depicted in england in an american werewolf in london how would you rate that would you would you be all about a hospital stay in london sometime or or do you have some reservations about it yeah so i have you know the, the you know there, there's a the well I, here's what i'll say okay uh, if, if the healthcare, you know, in London, if part of that involves me getting, uh, you know, having uh, having an attractive nurse who's going to fall in love with me, uh, you know, I guess I guess you know that that buffs the level up a bit, um, you know. <laughs> I mean, but the I mean, call you a socialist right now? You're all yeah, about exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but the, the <laughs> there's a really funny funny part in this movie um and i don't know if it's intended to be funny i think it does strike up as part of landis's humor where the doctor is trying to explain to david how how a madman did this while he's checking on david's wounds which all of them very clearly done by a claw i mean every (laughs) like i mean it's not even not and i just you know, there, there's there's no way it wasn't. You know, he has a he has a claw mark over his uh, over his uh, left shoulder into his chest. Um, that is such like it, it's all the it's all even. You know, it looks. I mean, it's it, it's just very clearly a claw mark. And he's like, yeah, it just must have been some insane dude. You know, who who <laughs> mauled, you know, mauled your friend to death. You know, and left him in pieces. You know, like those insane dudes tend to do. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm just not, you know, I, I'm not overtly uh, trusting in the in 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 their healthcare system. You know, um, if their diagnosis is that bad, if they can look at that and just, you know, come to the conclusion that it was a guy with a knife who made five perfect or four perfectly, you know, perfect knife marks, you know, into the chest, just same size and everything. Uh, it, to me, that's just, uh, you know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't uh, give us a lot of trust. Although I will say this, uh, that doctor does go above and beyond his role, um, you know, trying to figure out exactly what is happening. Um, so he, you know, he, he is the one that kind of gives, is kind of trying to unravel what has happened and he does, you know, go, go beyond, um, 
you know, beyond uh, his own uh, his own job code, so to speak. Um, but I will say that he, uh, you know, he, going into that pub, you know, seeing the five pointed star, you know, having being told like it was a giant dog that bit me, you know, um, you know, having all those people act the way they did, you know, being basically chased out of there, and then the, for him to just come back and back, yeah, it's all delusions. I don't know. I don't know how how much I I would you know, trust in his abilities. Um, but I guess he tried at least. Um, but, uh, but our nurse is nice. I mean, that nurse is really good. You know, I, I'll, I'll give him that, you know, but yeah, I, I would probably give him, you know, I'll give him a five, you know, they're, they're right at a five level, you know, it's, it's, it's everything seems clean and, you know, and uh, clean enough and everything, but, you know, for all the stuff you want out of a hospital, like, you know, good diagnoses, you know, uh, you know, good prognosis, that kind of thing. They just really are, poor that but everything's really clean and you know and you have you know a nice nurse that will take you into your house and you know get into a shower with you so i mean you know that, that's worth a five i think that's worth that's worth a five i mean hey man if, I, if i'm being honest the size of the breakfast of the type that they serve already yeah you know i mean that i actually, I actually felt you know david at one point you know sticks his spoon in the oatmeal you know and it like stands up and i'm like you know, that's a sign of good oatmeal, David. Like, yeah, I don't know what you're exactly. griping about, man. You don't, no one wants soupy oatmeal. Like, you know, but yeah. But yeah, exactly. five, five's where I'm at. I'm at a five. I got you. I got you. I mean, yeah, man, you're entirely right. I don't know what kind of oatmeal he, he's been eating, but, you know, if you put your, if you put your spoon in oatmeal and it just immediately falls over, that's not oatmeal. That's like, exactly. That's like some cream of wheat or something yeah. that you got going. Oh, that, that's just bad news. I don't think they have that in England. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, no, it's wild. I um um I watched this when I watched American Werewolf in London this last time. Um, I watched it last night at the time of this recording. Um, I watched it with my um, wonderful wife. Um, and and when the nurse kind of takes him home, um, Alyssa is just kind of like, I'm not. I'm not sure how ethical that is. <laughs> oh, it's very <laughs> unethical. You're, I'm just like, no, no, you're right. The true, the true horror is, is the unethical medical practices that are going on, in, in the social dynamics of this, of this English hospital. No, you're right. But um, no, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's great. Um, a really, a really underrated character in this film is the American ambassador who comes to visit. <laughs> Mr. Collins. <laughs> Mr. Collins. Collins. Mr. He's Collins. He's fantastic. He's the best part of the movie, if I'm being super <laughs> honest. I mean, he, he shows up and um, he talks to this guy who's in a hospital in a foreign land and <laughs> just received news that his best friend was attacked to death by a lunatic. And, and David, understandably, you know, is under some stress, you know, yeah. has a stress reaction to the situation he finds himself in. And Mr. Collins just gets in his face and just like, hey, hey, man, you are from America. You are an American representative. You need to calm down. <laughs> you need to you need to stop showing 
you know, your Yankee ass to these to these fine English professionals. You need to calm down. And I, lo- I love Mr. Collins so much because I have met, I have worked in hospital settings. I've worked in psychiatric health. I have met people just like Mr. Collins <laughs> who, who will take a person going through a full-blown psychiatric episode and will just say, hey, now, that, that's enough. You need, to, you need to act right. You need to fix your face. And you need to act right. There's no reason for all that. It's just it's just great. His calmness. Oh, to be half as calm as Mr. Collins from an American Werewolf in London in the face of disaster and tragedy. That's what I hope for myself. I uh, mean, listen, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 not just in uh, hospitals, man. There's there's that type of bureaucrat anywhere you're going to work. You know, I mean, you know, that's the you know that's the bureaucrat you know who walks in and you know says to you. You know, I mean, is this job really all about money for you? You know, that that's that type of person. <laughs> you know? I mean, he is just, but no, he he was, he he's, he's a highlight. He really is. He he steals the one scene he's in. You know, uh, they definitely the 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 lost the lost opportunity here is to have him be a, one of the werewolves victims because that would have just been amazing. <laughs> It would have been great. It would have been great. Um, all right, Josh. Um, well, as we're winding down, um, as Horror Fest is quickly and and skeezily slipping away from us um, as we close tonight, uh, I have just one question. Skeezily, indeed. Um, it's, very, it's very skeezily escaping us. Um, got just one last question um, about our our beloved film, um, American Werewolf in London. Um, and that has to do with the ending. Um, the ending, other than, you know, the Cronenberg-esque transformation scenes we've already talked about, um, the ending might really be one of the more jarring parts of the film because um, this is a movie that um, that kind of escalates after about the halfway point kind of feel the tension kind of growing and building gets very chaotic. Um, it gets very wild. Um, and then the film just kind of ends and you're, <laughs> and you're treated to a, a rousing <laughs> rendition of a, a blue moon. Um, and that's it. And credits roll. Um, so Josh, I want to ask you um, in contrast to horror films, which for a while now, um, have had kind of a trend of of kind of having an ending where you aren't sure of what's going to happen next and the you know the villain escapes to to terrorize another day and having these films be very open-ended how do you feel about um, the more abrupt um, final ending of American and Werewolf in London uh, do you think it fits the film do you think um, some more horror films would benefit from having that kind of um, finality to their endings? Um, t- t- tell me what you think. Yeah, I think the definitive ending uh, really works uh, for the film. Um, yeah, I, I know we kind of we're, we're kind of in a place where um, a lot of a lot of horror films uh, tend to have like open endings uh, for either reasons of just wanting to be kind of 
um, more existential or more postmodern or wanting to leave things open for a sequel. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, here in, in 19, in the early eighties, I think 1981 was when this film was done. The, the idea of extra sequels, uh, you know, I, I think John Landis knew this was a definitive ending for this story at least. And that's the thing, like this is, this is one story in many. So, you know, there, you get the sense, particularly from the early parts of the film that, um, that there has been that the werewolf curse has been around a while, and we're just dealing with one of the instances of it. Um, so it's it's it the abrupt ending works because you know we're just getting one story. Um, we're getting a very small part of the story. We're seeing a very small corner of of what's actually happening in the uh, in the big you know overarching werewolf drama that 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 town uh, has put up with or has have been actively involved with. We don't even know that. Um, so I think the ending works in that sense. I think that's one of the things they're kind of saying is that, you know, or that Landis is kind of working for there is that he wants an abrupt ending because this ending is just, uh, th- this one is, is by itself. This little corner of, of this, of this world, uh, this point has ended. Um, it's, it's not satisfying really. I mean, it's in a lot of ways, um, you know, uh, I think, you know, you could probably want more, but, but then at the same time, when I say, you know, I, I might want more, I don't know what that more would be, you know, like, do we want, you know, the, you know, our lovely, our lovely nurse, you know, going overseas and seeing the parents, do we want, uh, more investigation, you know, into, you know, the, uh, into the the occult uh, the occult practices that led to this werewolf you know are these things we want I you know m- maybe some people might want that but I don't know what that would add to the movie and also that's not really what this movie's been about this movie in a lot of ways you know is very similar to an old school you know Laurel and Hardy type comedy you know where someone comes across a uh, where someone comes across uh, something. Uh, and their hijinks happens, and then, you know, the hijinks ends, and so the movie ends, you know. And, you know, if you look at some of those old comedies, you know, they always end with, you know, one last joke, you know. Um, and I think, you know, that's what Landis is going for here. You know, I mean, it's brutal, but that's kind of the, you know, that ab- abrupt ending, you know, works within, if it, maybe not tonally, but structurally works within the comedic pacing of the film. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it does work because like I said, the movie's not really trying to be exorcist or Carrie, you know, or, you know, even nightmare on Elm street or, or Friday 13th. That's not what this movie's trying to do. Um, it wanted to tell this, it wanted to combine, you know, comedic hijinks with horror. And when you do that, I think this is the only way this movie could have ended. Yeah. Um, I also think there's something to be said for this film that's really, um, it really takes you through a lot of different things. It takes you through a lot of different um, events and feelings and emotions. Uh, And I think there's something to be said about having the ending feel so abrupt and jarring in that... Um, in that one, you have the element of, as you said, you know, this is a very small scale event uh, within the frame of a 
of a larger story um, that's being told with, you know, the legend of the werewolf and other victims and what's going on in that town in England and things like that. Um, and so it's it's almost appropriate to have it end, end so abruptly that it almost emphasizes um, the fact that, you know, it does feel so small in the grand scheme of things. And I think that can almost be used as kind of a form or a commentary um, on horror itself in that, you know, a scary way to think of our lives is as being very, very small and very, very insignificant in thinking about um, the fact that for a lot of people and potentially for all of us, we could reach our endings that abruptly. (laughs) <laughs> and to just be like, well, yeah, and everything else will go on. I mean, <laughs> I mean, and that's and that's that. Um, I don't know. I could be a very, I could be a very grotesque way of interpreting what is first and foremost a comedy, probably. But um, but it's interesting to think about um, how those endings can have such a jarring effect, and on um, what kind of human elements that can um, kind of hone in on and, and relate to. But um, yeah, it's, um, it's one, <laughs> I don't know, it's one I think everybody should see. I, I had a lot of fun with this one. Um, I'm, really, um, I'm really glad our boy Hogager um, <laughs> voted for this one because this, is, this one was great. This one was a whole a lot of fun. Very good note to end Horror Fest on, I think, because we talked about some heavy stuff this year. But um, but um, yeah, um, y'all, everybody out there, as we've come to affectionately refer to you as our spooky friends, um, that about wraps it up for Horror Fest 2021. Um, it's been a journey, as I said, we've gone a lot of places and talked about a lot of different stuff in a lot of different contexts, but um. I've had fun. I've enjoyed it. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, Josh, have you had a good time this year? I always have a blast for Horror Fest, man. I mean, it's, you know, we started doing this last year. I'm hoping we continue to do it for many, many more years. Um, you know, and, and it, it's always it's always a good fun to overanalyze these, these movies with you, man. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's a blast on my end as well. Um, it's always, it's always fun to... F- Think about, you know, what really speaks to the death and finite nature of man that can be discovered in a John Landis film. <laughs> um, but it's, it's always a blast. Um, but no, I've enjoyed it as well. Um, as Josh says, uh, we always have fun with this. If y'all enjoy Horror Fest and you want us to continue doing it every year, um, please holler at us. Please let us know um, on social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook, for sure. Had a brain fart just then. I don't use Facebook anymore, so it's always the last one I think about. But uh, we're on all of them. (laughs) Holler at us. Holler at us on the website, on Patreon, for sure. If you enjoy this stuff, then let us know because there isn't. I mean, I'll tell you all, there isn't anything that is more encouraging um, than hearing that people enjoy your stuff. 
Um, so if you do enjoy it, please let us know that you do. If you have any ideas or suggestions for how we could improve it even more, we're open to those as well. Um, once again, special thank you to our boy, Nathan Hogeiger Lewis, for always supporting us, being one of our most consistent, reliable supporters for sure. Thank you. You got your own episode of Horror Fest from here into perpetuity, my buddy. So, <laughs> so, so enjoy it. We're going to be hitting you up um, for next October as well. Um, lastly, um, I really want to emphasize this because this is huge. Um, moving forward, yes, Horror Fest is ending, but Phantom Correspondence is carrying on in its spooky, spooky wake. Um, we got a ton of really cool stuff. We have a ton of superhero content coming out to finish out the year. Uh, we have interviews with celebrities and figures in the comic book world um, that are coming up. And most importantly, something I want to shill for Phantom Correspondence is that if you want to toss us a dollar on Patreon right now, of course, you have all access to our um, our content. You have all the access to uh, voting for things you want us to talk about and do. But most importantly, you have the unique opportunity to read an early excerpt from our boss and fearless leader himself, Jacob Vance Hardesty, um, from his book that he's writing. Um, it's a fantasy book. Um, it has, I mean, I've read the excerpt. I've read a little bit more, and it's awesome it's something that's very easy to, to engage with and get lost in uh, by the time you finish the excerpt you're going to be um quivering for more um quivering that's right um, we're writers first and foremost our fandom <laughs> correspondence but, um, and also use this note though if you want to toss us a dollar on patreon you get early access exclusive access might i say to this early ex excerpt of our book that um, Jacob is writing. Um, again, it's a fantasy story. Fantastic. It's going to be great. It's going to be huge one day, and you can have early access to that. Um, so, as always, we thank you guys for hanging out with us. Um, thank you for your support, whether it be on Patreon or just finding time in your day to watch our videos or listen to our podcast or whatever it might be. We thank you so much. And we remind you that fandom is for everyone. That includes those spooky friends we've shared Horror Fest with and all of our other um, fellow nerds and geeks as we head through the rest of the year. So everybody stay safe. Thank you very much and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your 2021.